0: Welcome to The Pemberley Podcast, a podcast where we discuss Jane Austen adaptations,
1: now covering Bridgerton on Netflix. I'm Yolanda Rodriguez. And I'm Julian Davis. Keep up with us on Twitter and Instagram at The Pemberley, and you can email us at thepemberleypodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Hi! Hi! <laughs> it feels Great and crazy and also very, very normal to be back here.
0: Yeah, we didn't realize that it's been six months since we've last published an episode. It's been nice to have a hiatus, but it's also nice to be back because there's just so much going on right now with Jane Austen and Regency content.
1: In a way, I feel like we really deserved that break because (laughs) we have six Regency and or Jane Austen adaptations coming out this year. We've got Sanditon season two, Bridgerton season two, The Emma Project by Sonali Dev, The Courtship, Mr. Malcolm's List the movie, and Persuasion the movie. I'm exhausted just reading the list.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, Bridgerton had such a huge impact on all of these projects getting greenlit and moving forward. They all filmed last summer. And so now we are seeing everything so slowly start to release, which is very fun and exciting.
1: I feel like we had this conversation with Bianca when she was kind enough to talk to us a few months ago about the Bridgerton effect, how like the success of this show is seeping into a lot of other, you know, because from my experience working in entertainment, everyone wants period. No one wants to pay for it. Yeah. A lot of people are worried that there's not enough people who want eyeballs on the project that's period. And Bridgerton is disproving all of that. People are- insatiable for it.
0: And we will be talking and discussing all of these different projects in different ways. So we're going to start obviously with Bridgerton and cover that one episode each week. We'll dive into Sanditon likely next. And so we're just going to kind of see how we're going to also roll all this out. So that is to say,
1: we kind of have a plan. Yeah, it's not ironclad. It's not concrete. But that's okay. We're going to cover it all. We're yes. going to talk about everything. Just expect more content from us a this, lot, y- this year, too. A lot more content. And we're also like going to do a lot of fun things. For example, the Bridgerton Experience, for those of you who live in a lot of or live near major cities... I mean, it's coming to L.A. It has come to L.A. And you and I are going, obviously, you know, keep an eye on our social media for that Mm. on our Instagram account. It looks beautiful. It looks like you are literally immersed in the world. So we're going to wear our Jane Austen dresses. Yes. (laughs) I mean, truly, the last time we were able to go to any kind of ball was January of 2020. There's not enough balls going on, (laughs) and we want to be entertained. It's gonna be a lot of fun, so keep an eye out for that.
0: So with that, let's dive into Bridgerton season two. Season one was all about Daphne and Simon and their fake dating setup of, hey, this is going to benefit you, the Duke, to Daphne, because I'm not going to have all the mamas on me and, and pursuing me because he is the most eligible bachelor. And for Daphne, I don't remember the advantage, but it's like she's attached to a Duke and it's like yes. a big deal. Yes. And It's like raising her her status of potentially being a duchess. They both kind of get something out of it. They go through this season just fake dating, but then ultimately catching feels for each other and getting together. And it's very lovely at the end. It is just a lot of like, we're fake dating and
1: that's it. Full disclosure, we haven't seen the whole second season of Bridgerton. We've watched episodes one through three so far. And I gotta say, I am liking this season a lot more than last season. Mm. Not that I hated last season, but you know. You and I were both very honest on a lot of our episodes about how things were progressing. It's funny because I really thought that I would not like this season because I've been very open about my hatred for Anthony Bridgerton. Yeah, He was the worst. The word of the day is trauma. We <laughs> we, we get to see a lot of how he became who he is. And yes. I feel like kind of similar with how we saw Simon's upbringing. I mm-hmm. mean, essentially, I feel like a lot of the men on this show tend to be very cold, very distant. They don't want to be in love but they just can't help themselves, which is a really great trope. Like Anthony was like very hot and cold on a lot of things last season with sort of protecting Daphne's reputation and toying with his mistress, Sienna, who is off to do bigger and better things. But this season, I mean, we he sort of met his match. And I feel like that's what's so great about it. I mean, a huge difference that we can just say up top is, you know, Bridgerton season one. Absolutely do not watch it with your parents. No. Like it came out on Christmas. I have friends who were like, oh, let's watch it. I'm home for Christmas. Let's watch um, no. the show with your mom. Literally the first five minutes you see egregious nudity. This season, we don't get much of that at all. Yeah. It's a very chaste cult ship.
0: It's very different. And I mean, it is like they're just starting at a different place too, as far as like where Anthony is in his life. Yeah. I'm not familiar with with the books yeah. and I haven't read them, but I'm just enjoying the series as it's coming out and also just, you know, taking the story as it comes.
1: Yeah. And it's kind of one of those, I think I read like the first half of the Duke and I, which mm. was Daphne's season. Yeah. So I, I saw some immediate differences between the books and the show. Okay. So I'm sort of not kind of like what they did with game of Thrones. I'm not sure that the books are hundred percent reliable because The books are so different from the show, like tonally, like where everyone's coming from, like it's very different. So that is to say, we started the season with a place where I was hating Anthony and I was like, this better be good. What were your thoughts going into this? What were your preconceived notions? The pictures
0: have just been so nice. Yeah. And like, obviously, like Jonathan Bailey and Simone Ashley look just so good. And then putting them together as a couple on this show, they're just so beautiful. I was just like immediately drawn in and be like, yeah, I forgot he was awful last season. So I had to, I'm glad you re- reminded me how awful he was yes. because yes, he was awful I think he's still on his journey of like not being awful. And so I think that's a nice thing about each season that we're going to see is like it, you're so honed in on one character one couple at a time and yes you get glimpses of the rest of the family we we didn't see like this other side to anthony that we see now and so now this season is all about diving into who he is and what he's been through and why that's made him who he is today
1: the way i feel about anthony is he's come a long way mm-hmm. and he's got a lot further to go yes. oh yes for sure <laughs> so i mean here's where we were left at the end of season one Anthony has declared his intention to find the future Viscountess, Bridgerton. Mm -hmm. He has declared his intentions to marry. Colin ran off to Greece. You know, Daphne is married to the Duke and has given birth to their first child, a boy, whose name is going to start with an A. The Featheringtons are flat broke because, um, as we may recall, there was a big boxing match that Simon's best friend, Mondrich, threw, and it made him a lot of money from Mr. Featherington. But also, it got him killed, Lord Featherington, not Mondrich. Mondrich is thriving, Lord Featherington is dead, and his daughters are flat broke um, because he gambled away all of their money. And so they are awaiting the new Lord Featherington. Basically in Pride and Prejudice, like if Mr. Bennett had died, they would have been waiting on Mr. Collins to come yeah. and just sort of be like, all right, this is yours now. Yeah. Like the dumbest thing, the dumbest sexism ever.
0: That's wild. That like I think they even say later on, but he's their fourth cousin, like... That's how far removed it
1: was. I don't even know what a fourth cousin would look like. Like, I don't know how how distant that would have to be. I only know as far as second cousin. Penelope is Lady Whistledown. Yes, we got that
0: big reveal at the end of season one. And so... We're also starting to see a little bit more of like how she's trying to juggle being Lady Whistledown, you know, trying to be part of society, which like it's getting harder and harder as Lady Whistledown gets more and more popular.
1: Penelope is making money as Lady Whistledown. She charges more than all the other gossip columnists. So there's a lot of pressure on her to be better than everyone else. Her family is in dire financial straits. So we don't really know how this is going to play out yet. No. Should we just dive in and and meet our newest family? Just so you guys know, we're gonna do it similarly to how we did last season, where we're breaking up episodes into families and sex. I think we should start with like the new family in town, the new kids in town, the Sharma family. Mm-hmm. Because there's like already a
0: familiarity with them with people in society, which is interesting. Because what I thought was like, oh, this new family's coming in town, the Sharmas. They have. Kate, the eldest sister, Edwina, the youngest sister, and their mother, Mary. There is no father. So they've come straight from India and they're staying with Lady Danbury off her very generous and good graces. But clearly, Mary is someone who has been here before. She's been part of this society. We don't fully know what this backstory is just yet. It's more of like something happened with Mary.
1: (laughs) We get some rumors, like once again, from the Mamas. And it makes me more grateful that we are getting a show that basically explores like Violet Bridgerton and... Lady Danbury's... Like, when they were young ladies. Like, what happened then and and how it affects the kids of this generation. Kind of like the Avatar to Bridgerton's Legend of Korra situation for those... That this makes sense, too. <laughs> I'm trying to bring in the fandoms here, yes, Yolanda. Yes. I watched a lot of Avatar this uh, <laughs> pandemic. What we don't get, you know, from the first scene, but what we eventually learn is that Mary Sharma was used to be Mary Sheffield. And so she was raised in this society. And in fact, she was the diamond of the season for her coming out, you know, generation year, basically. But she did not marry a Duke or a Viscount or a titled man. She apparently ran off with a commoner who already had a daughter of his own. Hmm. And they sort of ran off to India, had Edwina. The father has now died. Mary and Kate have spent all their resources, just like putting so much pressure and so much education on Edwina. She needs to marry a titled gentleman. um, And we'll learn why later. Yeah, But essentially Kate is 26 years old. She's very, I think this is sort of meant to be like a taming of the shrew, a loose Mm. taming of the shrew adaptation. She's kind of prickly, Kate. She's very meddlesome. She loves her younger sister more than anyone in the world. Think Katniss and Prim. Like that's exactly the dynamic here Uh, from Hunger Games.
0: And it's interesting because you would think that Kate should also be out in society but it's like it's almost like decided that she won't be and that she's kind of just taking herself out of the running essentially like she's not gonna take suitors she's not gonna be part of that whole process she's kind of just accepted like I will never be married and I will just be a governess and I will like live my life in this way and that's fine it's like she's not accepted in this society unfortunately which is really messed up because she should be and she should just be part of the family and it shouldn't be like she is like this other child like no she's part of the family but that's how they see her and I'm you know she doesn't want that scandal to touch Edwina so that's why they've made her into like the perfect kind of young lady in society who knows French, Latin, Greek. She knows how to dance. She knows like all the instruments that you could know how to play. Like yeah. she reads. She's yeah. like, she knows history. Like she is, as we see, like Anthony goes through all these like different interviews with young ladies of like all these requirements that he has that seem impossible and though they haven't met yet. Edwina seems to check off like all those boxes. They've like done this on purpose just to make sure that when she came here, she had the best possible chance.
1: It's also very Encanto, for those of you who have seen it, where I feel like Kate is very Mirabelle in, like, Waiting on a Miracle. Mm -hmm. Like, she's happy to let her family shine, but I'm sure deep down we resent it. She resents it. And we haven't seen Kate's trauma yet. Edwina is kind of the young, perfect one. She actually sort of, like, even her dresses more resemble Isabella, and she's much more, like, flowers and pink and... Dewey-faced, yeah. um, and I'm perfect, but like, I mean, I called it from like the first five minutes. I'm like, I just feel like she's gonna break away at some point. <laughs> yes. So Anthony, I guess we'll start with him for just a second, because as we know, he has declared his intention to find a wife and he's on a mission. I mean, he really he's like the CEO of the Bridgerton family yep. household, all of it. So he works really hard during the day trying to manage the paperwork and the land and the money and everything like that. Um, so by night, he sort of relieves his pressure by seeing some prostitutes. He's also courting, you know, eligible young ladies. But I mean, if you can call it that, it's more like these really scary interviews. You're looking forward to being a mother? Oh, very much. I'm quite close to my brothers and sisters. I love children. And what number do you have in mind? Children? Four. Or five. No, perhaps. Six. Three children is what I've always wanted, my lord. What if, say, one of your daughters had a penchant for overspending? How would you deal with that?
0: He has the right answers in his head, and if they don't match that, he's, like, immediately, like, no, and he walks away. And it's, like, so messed up. He abandoned a girl on the dance floor, <laughs> just left her there. Just like these impossible standards that he's sort of set up for himself. He's trying to find the Viscountess. Like he is trying to find like this impossibly perfect person.
1: Well, and something else that he has made abundantly clear is that while he does want a wife, he does not want a love match. I mean, his parents had the most epic and amazing love story of the whole tone, like no one marries for love. Edmund Bridgerton was the air that Violet breathed, and it was very hard. As we'll see later, when he passed away, he just sees it as like his
0: responsibility. Like I will marry someone, and yes, I will provide for them. I will be there, but like but not love? emotionally. Yeah, not
1: emotionally. <laughs> <laughs> I won't like emotionally be yeah. there for her, yeah, but yeah. I will. I will give In her every other way. <laughs> every other way, I will buy her things. So he's coming back from a, a late night jaunt with one of his ladies early in the morning, riding back when he sees this woman he's never met in a mysterious velvet cloak, just galloping. And he's intrigued. He was like, are you, are you hurt? I and love then that. He's like, she must be in danger. A woman alone on a horse going along so quickly. Yep. And then when she sort of turns around and smirks at him, he sees her face. He sees the smirk. He's like, oh, it's on. And they start to race.
0: Also, she is a young woman unchaperoned. Riding a horse alone. A stride. Yes. A
1: stride. She's not riding side saddle. She's got one leg on each side of the horse, which is a big, fat no-no.
0: Yeah. So she shouldn't be there.
1: I love there are several nods to Pride and Prejudice in this series. The first of which, she's late and she appears her hem six inches deep in mud. (laughs) Coincidence? Probably not. This is where we find out more about their history. They spent all their money to come from India to England. In fact, something that is revealed between a private conversation with Kate and Lady Danbury. Lady Danbury finds out about Kate's early morning rides and she's like, I know everything. I feel like you're hiding something. you got to be honest with me. And she reveals something that Edwina doesn't know, which is that Mary's parents, the Sheffields, have agreed to bestow a very generous dowry for Edwina, but only if she marries a titled English gentleman. And they will take care of her mother. Like, knowing that those aren't her grandparents, they are her half-sisters' grandparents, like... She wants to see her sister taken care of and and she's kind of like willingly knowing that this is probably the first and last time she will live in a luxurious situation.
0: The thing is to Lady Danbury is like, you should tell Edwina so she knows what's at stake here. But I think Kate has spent her whole life protecting Edwina from any kind of struggle. And I think she says that, you know, she's like her stepmother Mary and her have worked so hard to protect Edwina from any sort of harm to Edwina. She's like, we were now here, you know, we, were in india but now there's opportunity in london so we came here and that's why yeah. we're here it's not like no this is like your one and only chance to save yourself really yeah. you shouldn't put that pressure on on her because she's already i'm sure nervous this is a new place yeah. and she's in front of all these new people you know kate's doing it for what she feels is the best reason
1: we don't see anything like this in the show but my own personal suspicion is that even if edwina doesn't know the specifics. She knows that there's a lot on her shoulder. Like, oh, yeah. even though Kate is shouldering a lot of burden, Edwina not blind to that. No. And she knows, kind of like in Little Women, how Amy knows that she's the one of her sisters who's going to marry wealthy. Mm. Like, I think she knows that's that that's the situation, too, right. and that this is a part that she is playing. I love things that Kate throws out is that she absolutely despises despises English tea. Like she kind of (laughs) of disses Lady Danbury's tea earlier. And we're like, whoa, sorry, you think you're better than Lady Danbury's tea. You know, my hunch as well. I hope we see her making chai later in the season. Another perk of staying with Lady Danbury, who is an old friend of Mary's, is that she's going to personally introduce these girls to the queen. We're hoping for some diamond action, obviously. We are hoping that everyone sees just how special Edwina is. I mean, and she really is because she... She's been taught everything that English ladies need to accomplish, but she also like speaks Hindi and she like plays Indian instruments as well. Mm -hmm. And so she's like very, she's been like learning about two different cultures. Yeah. The two things that we have seen about to collide this season or in this episode, Anthony keeps going through all these girls and he hates all of them. He's like ranting to his fellow bachelors about how hard it is to find a wife. Do not tell us you were hoping for a love match. Love is the last thing I desire. But if my children are to be of good stock, then their mother must be of impeccable quality. A pleasing face, an acceptable wit, genteel manners enough to credit a Viscountess. It should not be so hard to find. And yet the debutantes of London fall short at every turn. Kate overhears this and she doesn't like what she hears because in this moment, Anthony is sexist. He talks about women like they're cat like you know the usual things it's very Mr. Malcolm's list where he's like I just want perfection you know he's, he's being like a- is that so difficult is that so difficult <laughs> like all the women suck and it's just like you know I don't know all the women but it's probably not nice to say that no. they all suck just because of your arbitrary standards
0: yeah and it's really a bummer for Kate to hear that because she was actually excited to see Anthony she was like oh there's that young gentleman
1: from he, the horse earlier he is a titled English yes. gentleman and
0: then she overhears all the awful things she says and And so her opinion of him is immediately tainted. He's awful. She would never want her sister to go near him, but he is literally the most eligible bachelor. But there's no way at this point, Kate would ever let those two go near each other. Thing is like Anthony is kind of then set on being like, well, whoever is named the diamond, like that's who I'm gonna go after. Cause that must be the best possible match for me. He's kind of always going after like what everyone wants. Yeah. Who does everyone want? The diamond. What does everyone's opinions kind of leaning toward? He goes for that. He goes for the popular yep. opinion mm-hmm. rather than looking inward and deciding what does, what does Anthony want, you know? All his decisions are driven by like, all oh, my family, what do they think is best? What is best for our Bridgerton household? So he is very much minded of more of like his family and the legacy and how the rest of his younger sisters will also then be set up for great matches and mm-hmm once their season comes. So he hasn't really had time to think about what does he want? Unlike his brother Colin, who is just gallivanting in Greece right now. And, you know, Benedict, who is just doing his art thing. Like the younger brothers just have this freedom that Anthony doesn't have. And he's just having to step into that even more so.
1: Daphne really set the tone as the first Bridgerton child to get married. She married a duke, which (laughs) is literally what, like for for context. She could have had a prince. She could have had a prince, but also for context, like literally, I think Harry and William are dukes. They're the Queen's grandchildren, and they are dukes. So, prince.
0: are they just prince by title?
1: He's Prince William, but he's the Duke of Cambridge.
0: Got it. So, okay, like, okay.
1: Harry is the Duke of Sussex. It's
0: because they. So, were, like, they're the princes they were born royalty. Yes, so they but were.
1: like the, their official title. Is the Duke of this? The Duke of okay, that? Got it. So, I mean, I don't know the rules. I don't I think know. there really are any rules.
0: The Queen makes up the rules. As the she Queen goes.
1: makes up the rules, and she's so- the
0: one who decided that Kate and William's children would be born titled, like they would have like the the title Prince and Princess. Yeah. She put that decree into motion, whereas she didn't do that for Harry and Archie. and Meghan's children. Yeah, she chose not to do that. She chose that.
1: (laughs) She chose that, just in case anyone wants to know, in case there are any Diana naysayers out there. (laughs) Just kidding, we need to have a whole spinoff show where we defend Diana and everyone's mom can come on and be a guest. I
0: mean, Megan just announced, Megan Markle. She's going to have a a podcast on Spotify, so, you know, so maybe we can invite her to be a guest on the podcast. I
1: mean, she's been at the top of my list for a long time. (laughs) The other side of this is that Edwina wants a love match. Mm. Anthony does not, like, has a billboard, basically, on his forehead saying, I don't want a love match.
0: And those two things are a bit at odds, too, because, like, Kate does want a love match for Edwina,
1: but she also knows she needs to be
0: someone titled. So it's also, like, those two things, like, ideal, great, would be, like, 10 out of 10 if she is able to get both. But like, what's the priority at the end of the day for her is
1: like, she needs to get married to an English titled man. But she also wants a good man. Yeah. And she's like, Anthony Bridgerton is not a good man. Yeah. So the sort of big thing that happens here is Edwina is named the diamond of the season. (sighs) Yes. And all the gentlemen slowly start floating towards the front. They all flock toward her immediately. And then Anthony just like, Push and knocks people over and he's like, hi, Anthony Bridgerton, Viscount Anthony Bridgerton, nice to meet you. Jonathan Bailey is very handsome and a very charming and I get it. Anthony is kind of on Kate's naughty list here and I don't blame her. We're going to see this little like enemies to lovers thing hopefully play out between Kate and Anthony. We have not
0: talked about the most important Sharma, and that would be Newton Sharma,
1: the most adorable corgi ever. The floofiest <laughs> and the sweetest, you know, loves picky ups and cuddles yes. kind of doggy. He just
0: sits on like Kate's lap and is just very happy to get all the pets Lady Danbury and Newton are not the best of pals yet. Not pals. But uh, they'll get there, I hope.
1: <laughs> That's the real love story of the yes. season, is yes. Newton and Lady Danbury.
0: Moving on, I guess, more to... the I know we've kind of weaved in Bert Anthony so much into yeah. all of this already, but just to talk about quickly the rest of the Bridgertons. Eloise, this is a huge deal for Eloise now. She is now out in season and she hates it. She hates the whole idea of being out in season. She's very against like, this idea of like being, you know, on display for all these young eligible men to just pick her. She doesn't like the idea of that at all. She's never been comfortable with like being out in public and being in the spotlight and especially so after her sister Daphne had such a successful season with the yeah. best possible match who was named the diamond. She's feeling a lot of pressure. And I don't think her mother would ever put these expectations on her, but she sort of feels it like feels it from the rest of society of Sister. like I need to be as great as my sister Daphne which is a lot to carry and she just wants to be hanging around with her friend Penelope and just you know making fun of everyone but she can't do that anymore because she's out in society and she's expected to be dancing and at least going on promenades with young men but she just wants to be separate of it all
1: we definitely see two different but not that different breeds of little sister pressure mm. from Edwina Very true. And- and Eloise, the little ease, if you will. <laughs> I feel like Edwina is trying to win favor in ways that her family never had. She's sort of trying to achieve a success that her family has never seen. So it, it's really hard because no one's ever done it. But then she succeeds and she like is very much shining. Whereas Eloise, her sister is not did not step out of the spotlight to like Usher young gentleman towards her, you know, Daphne was the diamond of the season last year, and she married the best guy like the one everyone wanted. And even though Eloise is really open with Penelope about how you know, she doesn't want these things. She's never been into balls. She's never been into hair and dresses and all the trappings of coming out and, and being out in society. But she does feel like she disappoints people just by walking into a room. People see her and they think of Daphne and how successful she was. It really sucks. And I I also feel like she feels that way. I mean, there are several moments when Eloise, you know, getting ready for a ball, getting prepared for something. She compares it to being trussed like a chicken or like prepare, (laughs) you know, like a farm animal being prepared for slaughter. And I get why she thinks that because Anthony was speaking just like that to his like, Bachelor friends at the ball. He talked about women like they're these objects that need to please him right. to be good enough for him. It's really like ironic because like you see like Anthony is
0: supposedly responsible for getting all his sisters like the best matches but he hasn't been setting the best example of like how he thinks of women in society and how he thinks of like these other young ladies. Of course, Eloise hearing how her older brother talks is like, this is how they all talk. And so like, she's not going to be thrilled about being out in society.
1: It doesn't meet any of her needs. I want to say a funny Eloise joke that she made when she was presented to the queen and someone made a joke like, oh, you could be the diamond of the season. And Eloise is like, I'm more of an emerald girl myself. And the queen is like, how did you know that my favorite necklace was an emerald necklace? <laughs> yes. um, and she laughs at her non-joke and she's like, oh my God, did I just make a good impression? <laughs> yeah,
0: she's like terrified that she made a good impression.
1: Yep, seriously. She's like, terrifying. oh no, what if I'm the diamond? Oh no, I don't want to be the diamond. A dialogue starts between Penelope and Eloise about Lady Whistledown. Mm. So remember last season, Eloise was like determined to find Lady Whistledown's identity. Well, she
0: was working in cahoots with the Queen.
1: And at the very last minute, she realized that the column would stop if the Queen discovered her identity. And so she actually inadvertently helped her best friend get away. But now she's not talking about Lady Whistledown as much. It's been like 10 months since the pamphlets come out. And Penelope's like, hey, you never talk about Lady Whistledown anymore. Eloise's just thinking, like, she's just a gossip columnist. She's like, not doing anything. She's like,
0: I wasn't to her before anyone else. Yeah. But now that she's popular and her prices have gone up, like, mm, I don't get it.
1: She just gossips and that's like, what is she doing with this power? Nothing. Right. Penelope, I will say, Penelope takes the criticism and the feedback yeah. of her readers seriously. She doesn't get offended. She's I- like... Okay, I can up my game. Yeah, I do love that. It used to be
0: Eloise always bringing up Lady Whistledown. And now it's Penelope being like, Hey, what do you think about the
1: latest (laughs) Whistledown? Do you think she's cool? Do you think she's really smart? Whatever. Penelope is like a wallflower. And Penelope's like, you know, I know that.
0: No one truly notices me. I suppose that is what I like. When you're invisible, you can have all of the amusement you want without any of the expectations popularity brings it. Freeze you. Do you think that is why Wussodown remains anonymous?
1: Perhaps. That's such a Hannah Montana moment. Like, you just said that you are Lady Whistledown. I feel like this would be a good transition into the Featherington family situation. Yes.
0: Lord Featherington has arrived, much to the dismay of Lady Featherington because she thought she had more time. She was really hoping that she would be able to have sorted out her daughter's matches before he arrived so that he can just pay for dowries and they would be fine. He shows up with all his hunting gear and all of his uh, stuff from America because he came all this way just to. Inherit this house and now be head of household. In fact, he's already moved Lady Featherington's stuff out of her room. She's like, oh yeah, by the way, all your stuff is like out in the hallway now, I guess. I don't know where it is. hate that. Because as head of household, he gets like the best rooms. And so.
1: Like, I get it, but I hate that he did it without telling anyone. I know. He just sort of showed up with Gaston level interior decorating. She realizes, on the one hand, she needs this guy because otherwise there's no money for anything. Yep. It's it's kind of like this this balance where they need him because they need the money and they need the title and they need a, a designated man, but that means he actually controls everything. Yeah, and so I do like this observation you had about who he
0: looks like. Do you want to say?
1: <laughs> I would love to. I think we it was like kind of vaguely revealed to us at the end of last season but we didn't see anyone's face the second we saw him I was like is it gonna be someone famous and it's like it's someone who looks like someone famous I was like oh it's Michael Cera <laughs> like he looks like a taller British Michael Cera that's yeah. literally what he looks like yeah yeah I don't know this actor's name um, but um if I know I thought curious. it was also
0: it was gonna be someone walking down who we, we would recognize but I mean it's fine these are all like a lot of new actors to us which yeah. they're all great at their roles so are. there's no issue there it's, it's sad that Penel keeps writing Colin and that he's writing her like he's writing his whole family and I guess also Penelope about his travels and you know he's just like journaling his heart out to them Penelope is actually responding <laughs> And so she's been like keeping up with Colin all this time. So poor Penelope, she's like still keeping on and holding on to hope that things will progress with Colin. He's writing me letters, oh my god, but he's yeah. like he's writing a lot of people letters.
1: <laughs> it's kind of all she's got, you know? I mean, yeah. as a wallflower, it's like she has her lady whistledown business, but also she her there is her heart and that is Colin and yeah. Her sister even comes in and makes fun of her for writing. And she's like, you know, he doesn't see you, right? He isn't, he's not your friend. And she's like, yes, he is. He's my best friend in the whole world. We have friendship bracelets. To me. I mean, not all that, yeah. but you get it. You get what I mean. We're seeing the two lives, the, the dual identities of Penelope Featherington. Yeah. And how by day, she's this ignored wallflower that no one cares about. Not even her own mom. She like doesn't I think know. she's going to be like marrying anyone anytime soon. Nobody great. By night, she is the sort of identity of Lady Whistledown as she dresses in very fancy maid clothes and puts on her natural Irish accent and bosses yeah. publishers around, bosses everyone around. They're like, that'll be this much, and she's like, you can have half. Yes. And I won't make a fuss. Right. And I'm like, And wow. she like
0: I mean like she's her cover is like she is like this maid and this is for her mistress. And so she's like, my mistress demands this, this is what she needs, like you're gonna do this for her. And so that's like how she's able to kind of sneak around. And also it's like in a very different part of town that no one from society would ever be caught in so she feels like so far she's been safe at being able to run both lives
1: and it's very interesting how like she is actually very impressive when she decides to stand up for herself yeah. but she's really only able to do it when, when it's on someone else's behalf yes. <laughs> <When> <laughs> you know when she's in disguise like It's almost like Penelope Featherington can't do that, but Lady Whistledown and her associates can do whatever they like. And the Queen is out to get her, too. I mean, there's still sort of this... um I hesitate to say rivalry, but the queen is keeping an eye on Lady Whistledown and still very much desires to know who she really is. Yeah. So that's kind of where we end on all of this. We well the ending scene is the ball, but like we've met the Sharmas, Featheringtons are barely making their way in society, like going to be some close calls with Lady Whistledown's identity. Anthony Bridgerton is just learning a little bit more about himself each and every day.
0: Yes. <laughs> that's all we can hope for. So tune in next week We're- where we will be diving into episode two of Bridgerton season two and you can keep up with us on social media at the Pemberley on Instagram Twitter Facebook all the different things
1: and you can email us at the at gmail.com